Detroit Sip is where you need to enjoy coffee. Meet with your neighborhood association and write your next journal entry. Detroit Sip is the community business located at 7420 West McNichols, Detroit, Michigan, 48221. Open Thursday through Sunday for you to experience the real Detroit over a great mocha. Visit Detroit Sip today. All right, we are back in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. It is a hot summer day. Hot, hot, hot summer day in July, cancer season. And, uh, you know, Detroit summers always bring something uh, very interesting. Detroit summers are always filled with people outside, people playing. You hear kids and ice cream trucks and all types of culture. And when we think of culture, culture is the essence of which I started Detroit is different. Um and the essence at which I started Detroit is different when I think of dance, when I think of movies, when I think of music, when I think of really expressions. Actually, the way Detroiters walk is kind of artistic in the grand scheme of things. But in capturing that and making sure you can take what is given as culture, it takes the right representation. Uh, I've interviewed a, a couple at this point in time of my attorney, uh, Stephanie Hammonds. Uh, I've interviewed uh, Howard Hertz, also Daniel Hoops. I'm pretty sure Hoops is going to come back. We're going to get some more attorneys. But when it comes to being an entertainment attorney, uh, walking alongside black people in the city of Detroit, adding to the culture and in the mix of the culture, you're definitely going to bump into this man, Attorney Gregory Reed. Attorney Gregory, how are you today? Oh, I it's a pleasure to be here it's a honor just to be in your presence to be a part of this show and the title of it detroit is different thank you thank you um i generally always start this whole detroit is different journey off with your family and uh your ties to detroit so um are you a first second third generation detroiter how did your family get to detroit well my grandmother uh migrated from uh, Macon, Georgia. Hmm. Okay. And they were entrepreneurs and uh, the Warmans and they still have uh, certain street signs and things of that nature in Macon area after that that name. And they and they, um, they migrated to River Ridge, Michigan. Hmm. And uh, and a number of them uh, were and on the e-course side, became in the city of policemen and in, in that part of it, of the community. And my grandfather was uh, died young and owned property. And my grandmother really was more of an entrepreneur. She never worked hmm. per se, but she worked based upon the property that he left her with as uh, in terms of owner and collecting rent. And then she also had a grapevine and she made wine. And then she also uh, uh, knit and crochet. And so she never, she was always self-independent. Okay. So this is uh, a very interesting story just in the mix of a lot of people that made their way in the Great Migration from the South. Uh, Mm -hmm. Detroit is, this area is filled with black folks from primarily Alabama. Yes. Mississippi. Yes. In Georgia. That is correct. So um, was it a, other family members that made their way up this way? Or was it kind of mm-hmm. like your family laid a, uh, laid a flag in the ground and kept it moving? Or how, how did that happen? Well, they, they, they kept it moving. Then uh, part of my father's uh, genes were the people that uh, migrated from North Carolina. Huh. 
and a number of them end up uh, migrating part to eCourse in Chatham, Ontario, Canada. Hmm. And and his part, uh, they own uh, a store. And so then they were a part of a, an entrepreneurial and they kind of identify with a lot of the uh, self-determination values as, as well uh, during that time with the, the Muslims. Mm -hmm. And so then they picked up a lot of self-determination hmm. items and, and they were high complexion and my mother was dark complexion. Okay. And so then that took a, that took a little doing for them to cross over. Yeah, I can, <laughs> and, and I can I, imagine. No, but I'm very uh, I can speak that way as as I've evolved and and understanding life and the uh, complexity of it that we ignored. So they so then of course they didn't want those two to get together, but hmm. they came together at the time. So um, with this. <laughs> Yeah. As we talk about the store ownership and everything uh, mm -hmm. in River Rouge mm -hmm. uh, and River Rouge itself and that, that whole like uh, down river area yeah. has a culture to its own. Even that, to this day, it's, th it's like that true. is like that whole southwest Detroit, black Detroit. Uh, <laughs> as we think about <laughs> as we think about the dentists, the, 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 the doctors, the attorneys, mm -hmm. the store owners. Mm-hmm. That's that true. community was really close knit. I'm glad to see that your awareness level is is there to understand that a lot of people don't know. See, River Rouge was almost like a suburban community mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because they had their own hospital. Yep. Uh, the, the black hospital, the yeah. Sumby Hospital, Doctor Mitchell and them, and they had their own uh, library. They had their own theater. Mm -hmm. as well like we don't even we have that problem within the Detroit today a theater they had their own theater mm -hmm. uh, then you could play sports organize sports with the other schools or the majority of the white schools but they started off boxing and wrestling organized from the first grade and they played organized sports uh, with uniforms and traveling hmm. in the fifth grade. A lot of people don't know that in boxing. And when we moved to Southwest Detroit, we crossed over without underhandedly uh, to, mm. to stay in the River Rouge mix. <laughs> and the, because they, they had organized sport. They played sports at night in the lights at night. None of the Detroit schools even had that. And so, so you learn how to compete and com and and be disciplined and then they even send their kids they uh, during school year they had an organized camp hmm. in the seventh and eighth grade seventh grade where you go to what a camp i don't even know where it is called green pasture hmm. and so they had a lot of of good culture balance of the tight-knit community and then they had their own stores out there as well on Visica Road and part within the neighborhood. And so you were really grounded, but it was after you got through to a certain point of, of school is really what hands can nurture you further through a, a, a educational or college institution or another career. Mm -hmm. 
because we were because during that time we didn't have that many people. Then most of those people, they either worked at Great Lakes Steel or Ford Motors, mm-hmm. as uh, during that time, and so education was not on the horizon, so to speak. So my sister uh, became the first to go to to uh, Central State Ohio. Okay, how how many uh, siblings did you have? Oh. I had uh, we no we we still do, we I have two other siblings and and the family is almost like miracle kids after when I say that and I just do not say that lightly, because I'm I'm amazed when I look at it and how proud what happened even when my mother and father uh, parted ways, mm-hmm. what the what we all did uh, okay. with ourselves like my sister. Currently, uh, she's a principal. She'll be re- retiring soon uh, at Pastor. Uh, my brother, uh, he lives up in Saginaw, and he was and and he's the only person and daughter. His daughter are the only father and daughter that's in the Hall of Fame in this state. Hall of Fame for what? In in basketball, they were both oh. all Americans, mm. and he was the Saginaw. Uh, college before it became a university first all-american okay. he led the nation in scoring and then he became a uh, court counselor in the juvenile system hmm. as well and then his daughter was miss basketball hmm. as 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 well as uh was invited to the olympics when she was only in the ninth grade and and the, and the politics do not let high schoolers into the basketball arena in the ninth grade, and so she was invited out twice. She's she runs a tu- tutorial counseling program today in the city of Detroit, but she was Miss Basketball of the state, and she's inducted in the Hall of Fame. Okay. And so then, th- with the three of us, there's there are uh, uh, ten degrees just with the three of us. Wow. What and, uh, yeah. What did your mom and dad do, and how far in school did uh, both of them go? Oh, they both graduated from high school. Okay. And my, my mother ha- had a, a rough time, and then eventually, uh, she became a licensed nurse hmm. as well. Okay. And so it was just the, uh, I, so I look at, it, I say each one of us, how we put our lives together, end up doing something of giving back to the community. And, and so that's been our, our track record of the, of the family. And my sister, uh, her school is, is uh, rated by the governor of the state as one of the top competing schools as, and, as in a low-income area that compete with the high economic school. Mm. And her school been on CBS. Uh, she gets uh, as well as like perfect attendance. She knows how to work with the families, mm-hmm. and she's that pastor okay. on Pembroke. And, and so, so we have learned to work and give back, and that's been and we do it quietly. We don't have to do a lot of fanfare, and we just we just do it. Now, in reference to your father, what did your father do? He was he was a, uh, definitely a uh, worked in the, in the factory, and then. He also picked up ways on entrepreneurial okay. skill. Now you mm-hmm. said your grandmother, um, mm-hmm. and that's three generations, and that's your mom's side. I'm guessing 
that was here for three generations? Your father's side, what led your father's family here to Detroit, or did he just come to Detroit independently? No, they came as a family, okay. to, and, they, and they set up shop over in E-Course. Okay. And then he set up a uh, store on Salyat so Street. So entrepreneurship on both sides of your family um, was taking place between uh, your your father's side and your mother's side as far as running the store, uh, selling goods, especially if a grandma was well, I, well, it, I picked it up differently, uh, Kai. Um, I came home when I was uh, one day when I was eight years old and I asked my mother for some money to be uh-huh. high. And she said she didn't have any. And I, and I thought that was strange. I said, you don't have any money. And so what happened, I went out. That's when my entrepreneurship started. Okay. And I went out uh, and, 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 and actually sold free press at night. See, the free press used to deliver evening and day. I sold free press at night, and and then later on, then I, I set up my own shoe shine box. I've made it out of wood and everything, because I became more self-oriented about doing for self. And that's at like eight years old. At eight years old. Okay, one because, second. Now I do have to ask this: At eight, what, what what were you trying to buy? Like candy? No, or just just have some money. Just have some the money. money. And, right, because see. Uh, okay. When I was when I was nine years old, where I live at now is when I made a decision. Cause we moved around the city. Now I'm not gonna give you something like it just all sugar coated. We moved around quite a bit, mm-hmm. and when I was nine, I decided that I was gonna live in this in the neighborhood that I live in today, Indian Village. Okay. And 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 I can't even get over that that at nine years old I made a decision like that. And then when I got out of college, when I was in my 20s, I, I bought the house during that time to live in the house that I'm living in still today. Hmm. And so uh, what I have learned from the process, the entrepreneurial and, and, and your outlook is about a vision and a plan and, and, and how you manifest that. And a lot of us can have a dream, but we don't set up a plan and how are we going to implement that dream? So when you so talk about dream and implementing a dream, mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to fast forward a little here on to, you know, through high school, mm-hmm. entertainment law. And then I'm going to come back to high school because I, I want to know what high school you went to, what college you went to. But <laughs> did you ever have it in your mind at a younger age that you'd be working in and around entertainment? Well, I got there from another perspective. Uh, I was in engineering at Michigan mm-hmm. State. No, I did not have that. Uh, what I, what, how I got into that area was I was around all these All-Americans, and I saw that they needed help. And I, uh, there was Bubba Smith, mm-hmm. Clint Jones, Gene Washington, uh, a number of others. And and I was a freshman, and they befriended, and I I befriended them, and they befriended me, and there was only 260 some blacks at Michigan State during that time before they had to rush after the riots. Uh, so what ha- what happened? I said they need help, and I and here I am in engineering, and that field was not developed. 
at all about entertainment law and sports at all it was it was it was not even a um, looked upon as a profession nor did it looked on in terms of a particular area as a specialty mm-hmm. so so you got to have the, uh, the the persons that are listening give us some context they start saying yeah this oh this just doesn't help no so what happened then after following them and then I, then they gave me exposure I used to go stay with them. Uh, here I am, I'm still at Michigan State. They were, they were getting into a whole new area mm-hmm. of of their career in in in, in, in the sports because in, in professional sports. Mm-hmm. So like as uh, different players were going professional, they did, they were not exposed to that arena either. They didn't know. They didn't have nobody to take care of them or direct them. I would. I would argue that a lot of guys now still still don't. That is correct, and, and probably and a majority. You you're right, and so you're hundred percent right. And so what happened? Uh, someone to teach them how to handle themselves, how to handle their resources. Now I'm just learning a little bit of economics. <laughs> yeah, you're you're basically taking some of what you knew. From paper routing on up from eight years old, a little bit of what you knew from school, a little bit of what you learned from your grandmothers, That's good, good and point. telling them, you, you, "Hey, you, you cut you, you, you. I think uh, you should do this. I don't think that you should buy seven cars, Mister yeah, Smith. You're right. So you do <laughs> maybe you, one. You you connect the dots pr- very well, and so so what happened? Because you listen to anyone's story, is this person connecting to the dots? And uh-huh. I'm just and I'm just connecting the dots, just like you just put together. Uh-huh. And so, because I don't know, I just learning. Because we all give what we come from a reference point. Okay. Now, now this is the other um, strain of not just athletes, but just uh, a lot of, but especially athletes. Uh, and we we even spoke to Joe Lewis, uh, as I, I'm familiar with some of his family here too. But um, athletes become athletes and, and now they have they didn't know they had so many cousins that come up out the woodwork and, and, yeah. and cousins that, mm-hmm. that just got a baby you know diaper money and this that and the other um, as these uh, new I guess new expenses present themselves yeah they, they do <laughs> but, uh, were you assisting in the whole because like I, I think <laughs> you can become in a trusted resource more than just like even a, 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 mm-hmm. a the the common roles of what a on paper business manager does are always uh they they can spill over depending upon mm-hmm. the uh the know-how the wisdom the experience mm-hmm. and the life situations of an artist yeah that co- that comes about one thing that I I have taken uh, very a lot of pride in what I don't know I research, uh-huh. and so uh, what I found out that in that area, the same experience that even LeBron has had, he groomed those guys. They didn't know nothing, but he trusted them. Yeah, and that's all. And so the trust factor is a very key factor, and not to be traitor trust. That's why different people have stayed with me for like 13 or 16 years because of that factor. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
so in that area, which you did not know, I became the youngest guy in the country when I went to law school. Hmm. To rep, yeah, I was the young guy in the country as an agent in the United States to represent ten players. Wow! And what what year is this? This is the year of seventy. I came out seventy four. So this is like in seventy two. Seventy two. So, so this is really the, as we talk about it, like at, at the apex of new worlds happening. I mean, right now, I mean, he's infamously known as a murderer, but. This is like some of the ascension of O.J. Simpson. Oh, yeah. O.J., uh, my roommate, <laughs> bless his soul, uh, see, Michigan State did not want to play another black quarterback. My roommate was ambidextrous. He could throw it left and right hmm. and kick punt. His name is Jack Pitts. Hmm. Yes. And they didn't want another black quarterback after Michigan State had went to the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. So they end up you. So they put my roommate as made. They would make quarterbacks halfbacks. I mean defensive back. So he ended up breaking his neck tackling OJ. That, yeah, well, yeah, during that time. So yeah, Jay let me was say this: yeah, if you watch the tapes now, as far as like his political views and possibly his mm-hmm. personal life, I can't speak for Rental James. But as a yeah. football player, yeah. That's another he, story. he changed a lot of the roles for because I, I would I would definitely think yeah he may have symbolized like you know through advertisement and so many other things That's what point. could happen with an athlete's life. That is correct. That is correct. So so that became the point where I started to get in it because those guys brought me. You see how I got the entertainment. Other ones. They brought me that platform of representing various players hmm. and then it became then i went into broadway productions wow then it got into entertainment see i represented four broadway productions which uh productions were those those were the amos behaving your arm short to box the guy colored girls the wow. Wiz. so i i was i i've been very fortunate that i dealt with the cream now because they didn't have anyone that was in that area now those personalities are just so different. I can just assume from my understanding of the drama world versus the sports world. So uh, you got a good point. You, they are. There's there's the different mindsets. You picked up pretty well. Uh, athletes' mindsets are naive. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they've been taken care of, insulated. On the artist and entertainment side, there's a lot of paranoia. Yeah, and the paranoia comes from because so many people have misrepresented and said I'm gonna put your name in bright lights or I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and they have and they have d- run into a lot of broken yeah. promises. Yes. So I already know the difference in terms of how to relate to the different mindsets, hmm. and so when you understand that, and then you and you come off in a genuine fashion they would understand and relate with you and that's why they would stay with you and that's how a different uh individuals have stayed with me just like thomas hearns uh anita baker all these people have stayed because understanding the culture and their makeup can you be relied upon or be counted on mm-hmm. and so and that's how I, I have had those different types of relationships and never was a person that wanted to be out in front Okay. Now, as you talk about the not being out in front, 
you, your image becomes more out in front as That's people true. have spoken highly of you, working That's with true. you. Um, That's true. It kind of becomes one of those things of like, you know, um, you know, so so what do you use? I use this. I use that. I work with Attorney Reed. You know, so that's how that's how it happened. But other than that, as opposed to a lot of people wanting to go into the area, and and they think that's what it is. But I'm a business oriented person. And I don't want to be there. And and just like when I uh, uh, mentor uh, Stephanie Hammonds. She, her personality is, is has was the same persona as mine. It just you, we just enjoy taking care mm-hmm. of the person more than anything because if because we felt that if you handle this person right, they can make a difference. Mm-hmm. That is really the key. Now, now let's go a little bit through the other journey. Let's mm-hmm. let's go back high sure. school. Mm-hmm. What high school did you go to? I went to Southwestern and mm. yes, I, yeah. Okay. Southwestern. I we we lived on over and I was living on on the I was staying in Southwest Detroit. Then we moved on the East Side. Okay. And I used to catch the bus from the East Side. Oh man, that was dangerous. <laughs> to 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 Southwestern High School, and that was that was, uh, that, was that was and I'm glad I did because. Southwestern, Southwest, yeah. I used to get up uh, around about four or five in the morning in order to get to school for a reason. Time out, time out. Repeat what you just said for everyone sitting around thinking to themselves, I don't feel like going to class today. Oh, yeah. I used to get up 4.30 and 5 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning. Well, I had a reason because we were catching the bus. The other side, there were no cars. Like you can be, catch a car and drive. What what part of the east side were you staying? I was I was staying bet- uh, at the edge or where the black bottom is. Oh, okay. I would and I learned a lot about the east side because we stayed on the east side one time, uh, other time before, but that was black bottom when I was learning what black bottom was during what, the time. I what was buses on, were you take? Did you have to do like three transfers? Oh, no, I take the Verner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Downtown. Okay. <laughs> you really getting in the grits. <laughs> and uh, and I was, did I get a transfer and catch the 4th Street bus Whoa. down down 4th Street oh, and man. get off but I had to I had a reason for getting up at that time as well because I had so much pride that I didn't want to I didn't want to carry a lunch. I used to put the way put away all the milk for the whole school to get a free lunch. Wow. <laughs> that I earned my lunch. That's real. Hey, hey, that's good. And I can imagine the Fort Street back in the sixties was hard because there was so many. Uh, I can imagine it was like, um, what's that? Like factories at every corner. They were probably pulling the string the whole way through. Oh, you know that? Just because it just, just because it look, it's still industrial. And I also back then people were like, I'm it's not amazing. driving to work. I'm gonna take the bus. No. So, so, so all that work ethics still uh-huh. stays with me today uh-huh. from 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 eight years old okay and the, it's the work ethic see one thing i have learned that a lot of times people think you're successful in a way but it really is the discipline mm-hmm. the discipline and not being distracted <laughs> and i took good. that same see we easily get distracted yeah. Even today, as professional, we have so much social media distractions, yeah. and and so 
I have learned to harness that. Then I say, well, you're distracted. You got to tell yourself, you're distracted. You got to prioritize. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to put your priorities together. Now, this is still goes on <laughs> today yeah. in terms of knowing how to implement and fulfill whatever it is as your objective. Okay, now college after high school which hopefully you were definitely not taking the bus like that in college hopefully you could just walk walk to class but where did you go to college i went to michigan state and that okay. was based upon uh, i didn't want to go i i wanted to go there i want, really wanted to go to u of m at first but i'm glad i went to michigan state mm-hmm. uh, i know people uh that went to state right now are like what you yeah. wanted to go to U of M first? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, see, U of M had such an, an elitist. When a guy came to to recruit at mm-hmm. Southwestern, I I literally cried because they say we'll let Mr. Reed in mm. in, air, in any department at U of M except engineering because mm. they had a five-year program, and they said, no, I don't think you can make it. So I went to Michigan wow. State to go in engineering based on – Miss Whitley, she wanted me to go to Hampton, and I didn't know anything about Hampton. See, I was mm-hmm. class president. I, I I did well in high school. I was okay. I finished I finished number three out of uh, the whole class body. Okay. Uh, in terms of academics, and and she she got got me money and everything, and I went to Michigan State. So I I did well. I won uh, vocational. I, I I had a special uh, curriculum they designed for me. I didn't have a college prep. I had huh. I had part college prep and I had vocational. So I was good with my hands. I won a lot of state awards in terms of how to a uh, machine laid. So and your mind was just straight up in engineering then. Uh, well, it's, it could be. And I just learned uh, science was was more. I was more attractive to. Okay. My the the point that I uh, that a lot of people know. The reason why I write books, to, uh, to be honest about it, because my, my, the weakness that I had was writing. Hmm. And whatever I feared, I have always learned to confront. And I would challenge myself. So that's how I got into writing books. Ain't that something? That's an that's a interesting way to uh, dive, dive right on in. Now, on campus, was it... Was it the fact that the other guys knew that your brother was an athlete? What, what made, what drew the athletes to you, as far as somebody they could listen to and a voice of reason? Well, that's a good point. I, <laughs> you're pretty good. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I generally would hang in that area. One reason because I played sports, but I was not as good as my brother. My brother was exceptional. He played varsity. Uh-huh. Football and basketball in the ninth grade. Wow! And and so I set a record. I I was on reserve. <laughs> Did he play against? Uh, Cause like I, I'm I'm thinking era and everything. Did he play against Cliff Russell or Spencer Haywood? Or yeah, you're right. Pretty, you got pretty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, okay. You you must have been born before. <laughs> I like I I just like Detroit history, especially Detroit no. Black history. And I hear these stories because you know I went That's, to Northwestern. So, oh, you, uh, Fred Snowden. 
area. Yes. Okay. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So because I hear all these stories about like you know Northwestern was better than all of them. You know. I yeah. Mean, John I, Mayberry. I don't know if it's revisionist history. Yeah. Right? And Kurt Jones and stuff. Kurt Jones. Like, I played against Kurt Jones. Yeah. They say Kurt Jones yeah, was, was the like best. jumping off. Uh, like they were like Kurt Jones. I'm glad you know that name. Um, and you know, definitely well, he, we got to say. Um, Man, he just man, needed like the support. stories I hear about him and how he, how good he could play basketball. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, we, see, I played against Kurt back when we was twelve or thirteen at at Crunk Recreational Center. Oh, when man. I was Southwestern High Southwestern, mm-hmm. we they used to bring us over, so we were exposed to sports. Uh-huh. So my 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 game plan was that I was going to go to college either by sports okay. or academics. Uh-huh. And my brother excelled in the sports. Okay. And and I did not excel as as as, well as, as, as my brother. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 it's uh, here I am playing on reserve and and he's young he was younger than I am. Okay. And and he's playing varsity. Wow. <laughs> so, Football yeah. and basketball. Assume, yeah, because I assume those days going up against that, people like Choque and Cliff Russell and Spencer Haywood. <laughs> like, the stories I hear about Spencer Haywood and Kurt Jones, I wish I could have been alive to, like, see them play in high school. Well, they make it seem like they dropped, like, 60 points and a half. Cause. Yeah, because the, they end up going towards Southwestern and, and Persian. Uh-huh. They end up playing each other going towards the state final. Mm. And that when my brother was on the team playing against Spencer. Oh man, I I never knew that Southwestern was the team that they were facing going to. So yeah. that means your your brother's team had to be real good. Then. Oh, he was good, and him and a guy named uh, Charles Herb. Uh, see, Southwestern when I was in the eleventh grade, they brought me up from the reserve, and we went to the state finals in Southfield. We were not prepared because we were one of the few schools went all the way up to Lansing. Now I'm in 11th grade uh-huh. and they playing in the state. And 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 we st- the guys stayed up late at night playing cards and not recognizing getting rest. Southfield came and and put a whooping on Southwestern. Mm. And uh, they were not prepared. It's just like exposure, grooming a person, getting them ready. You in a whole different land, yeah. lane of life. It's the same way in terms of our community. When you get into another lane, you got to start doing a different preparation, and you got to do a different implementation. You cannot do what what got you there. You have to improve that on what you got. Yeah, I, I've definitely heard. A story or two about Michael Jordan's days as a Chicago Bull mm-hmm. and some hard partying, but still the next day still being able to go out and, and do something. Wipe them clean. Him, yes. yes. Isaiah Thomas, Lawrence Taylor. But yeah, all, all of this stuff. I love sports and just the competitive a, nature of it. And like what you say, it's like the mental because sometimes you can. That's what it is. The, the mind, as they say, your basketball IQ, especially with bas- basketball and boxing. Boxing especially, like, if you know more, you really can outwork guys. I had a, maybe a 20-minute conversation the other day about, uh, about to me, it's like, Michael Moore should have beat George Foreman that day. But I just think George Foreman just knew more about the angles in boxing. I mean, he was an old man, but he knew more about, shout out Michael Moore, Detroit. 
in the house. But, no, that's you know. interesting. See, I've been blessed, been able to work in different areas. And I see how you put together in terms of the, the mental capacity and how you integrate the physical with the mental. See, and, and, and see, I represented the only lawyer in the, in the United States to represent six world champions. Mm. And so, see, you can see now, you start to say, what is, uh, I have evolved in terms of the industry and where things were at different times. Yeah. That's all was, was happening from Broadway plays when, when there were no black touring companies. You can't say you're working in a, in the, in a play area. Yeah. So then the boxing has changed. So, because then I helped Emmanuel Stewart to help build, he went and recruited me. When he was, when he was starting off Crunk, and then I had the only, and I had the first book in this country on negotiating contracts for athletes and entertainers. I wrote the first book, promoted by the White Bar, the American Bar Association. Mm. I was the only re reference that they could cite mm. when they had their first entertainment forum that was set up in America. Never, never knew this. I never knew on both fronts. I knew you worked with Emmanuel Stewart in, mm -hmm. in uh, most of the the, the camp, but mm -hmm. I never knew he sought you out based yes. on that book. But that makes hey, that's, yeah, he was Emmanuel Stewart made a lot of good business decisions. The more yeah, I hear about it, yes, he did. He was uh, he was business oriented, and what happened? He met me at a at a party, and I and I went there, and it was at Shoreline East apartment on East Jefferson, and. And, I don't and even I, know Shoreline East. Where is that at? I'm thinking to myself, Shoreline <laughs> East. Shoreline, the Shoreline is next. Um, where you got um, just before you get to Jeffersonia. Oh, I know exactly where that's at. Okay, okay, okay. Now so, I know exactly where yeah. that's at. Okay. And so when the community was a lot of, see, our community was a lot of tight, uh, tightly knitted. And, and we had more organizations doing certain things mm -hmm. that were out there, like Irma Henderson had organization, all these. And so we learned, like even around those type of people, Joanne Watson learned around by being around in yes. those circles. That's how we got <laughs> where we are today, because uh -huh. we were groomed and nurtured. It was a more perpetuating situation uh -huh. than, it, than fragmented. Mm -hmm. so, so what happened? Uh, I'm there, and he and Emmanuel had all these boxers. They were amateurs, and he wanted to groom them to the next level. And and he was just changing over, so he saw me at this, and he knew I had this the book. And he said, "Hey, I want to talk to you." So what he did, he took me out. He he would sit down with me. He was analyzing. He would assess, and then he and then he got a feel. Of, of comfort and so he met with me sit down a couple of times kept doing this and then he called his wife hmm. out during the time and, and we went to lunch at the majestic on woodward avenue okay and and he and he had a brown paper bag he put the paper bag and he pushed it on his side and his wife was there he said this man gonna take care of our life hmm. and he because he he had he had went through a process with me. Then, after he had tried me out over for the next couple of years, then he then he turned uh, eighteen year old Thomas Hearns. He said, "Tommy, he's gonna take care of you." Mm -hmm. 
So then that's how I got into the boxing arena. Yeah. And and that's how I ended up representing these various champions because then people say, oh, yes, but Thomas was not the first champion that I represented. Hmm. Hilmer Kenty became the first champion. I represented him. Yeah. But before them, what happened, they got in, uh, they were putting a put on the world championship here. And they were going to, and the IRS was going to stop the fight. So I ended up representing Pepino Cuevas as the champion fighting Thomas Hearns. Wow. So I had to go and resolve that whole matter, or they were going to stop the fight. And that's how the fight took place, because I was doing the work behind the scene in order for them to release the whole thing that the IRS had stopped. Now, now of this, because I know basketball was something that you were into, and you saw boxing at Crunk and everything like that. Um, w- were you a boxing fan of the, uh, at the time, or were you just it just was? I was a business person, understanding sports and contracts. Oh, okay, and I was able to put that together, but I didn't know. Yeah, but then I ended up getting into the basketball. I was the only agent in America, black, that represented a lottery pick. And that player was a product of my brother's. His name was Mark Macon. Okay. And that's how, because see, my brother was, before the, the Fab Five came, my brother's the one that created the Fab Five. A lot of people. And you say, well, how is that? Because he was the, before Chris Weber and all the other players came, Jalen and all of them, he had the, the first he had five freshmen he took to the state finals in high school. And okay. that's where the word, it was coined. Okay. He, he had five freshmen in the state finals at, at U of M on the court. Hmm. And the announcers say, this got the, he got the fair five. Wow. And that was way before that came. See, one thing that I admire about my brother is that we look at things from a mental and a spiritual point of balancing a person. Mm-hmm. And so those players that was freshmen, that was Mark Macon, mm-hmm. a guy named Sean, I don't remember the other guy, and uh, some of those, uh, two of those, his players are doctors today. Wow. See, we, we would give them gold journals books. I got my brother into with gold journals in terms of spiritually balancing a person before you put them out there on the court. This is something that this gentleman is doing on the east side now in the boxing. Before those kids could get in the ring, they have to do all their homework. Mm-hmm. They have to get their edu- the mental part together. Yeah. And so this is something that a lot of times we don't look at. We just think that you just got you get just go out there and just practice and and apply yourself. But you have to get that individual. Just like when I even dealing with my clients and taking them in different areas, you got to get them balanced. And you do it slowly and consistently over a period of time. And then they start picking up a different dimension on how to handle themselves. So with this all being said, and this just was the high school sort of college discussion, law school. Mm-hmm. How did you say, all right, <laughs> going to law school? Because no. first off, even just taking, <laughs> taking the test to get into law school as my little sister is, uh, is getting ready to take yeah, that test now, it's, it. You have to have a strong presence of mind as the test isn't like it's not like right or wrong. It's way more very you get into um, as I as uh, I'm going to coin this from uh, 
great friend, brilliantly intelligent, <laughs> of uh, attorney Todd Russell Perkins of like law is like a strange bird. <laughs> so like you have to know how it moves, you know. Yeah, it is. That's an interesting. Um, well, as I indicated, I started off in engineering. Uh huh. Now, how did you get over in this other area? And I started representing these players. Yeah. But before then, I had an idea I wanted to represent these players. Okay. I really started off in a different lane. One was uh, the um, the engineering aspect. And what happened, I thought I, I was insecure, hmm. and I started needed more education to, to ground myself. And I thought, see, I'm not a, I may have degrees, but I'm not an advocate of degrees. I got four. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, I'm not an advocate. I'm an advocate of how you train your mind, whether it's hands or whether it's being creatively and apply yourself. Mm-hmm. That's where. That's how we won these state wards. Like in, it's, it's was in a vocational area. See, I didn't know nothing about engineering. And you said, well, how did you get in engineering? Then the law. Well, I looked in the one ads. See, you said the classified sections where we look up, and I saw seeing that was a high-paying job, and I said, I'm gonna go into engineering. When I saw they were making like ten thousand dollars, twelve. Mm-hmm. See, a person in those days was making three thousand, four thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and I said, I'm gonna take up engineering. That's how I got into engineering through my vocational and looking at things like that in the classified. Always looking at ahead, not where things are in a present moment, mm-hmm. and I deal with life that way. And and so when you take those tools that basic that way, mm-hmm. and then I, uh, so then you say, well, how did you get into law? What happened? And I wanted to further myself. Then I got my master's in management science in Michigan State, and then 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 um, I started thinking about law. In terms of because I was going to get into patent law, you have the engineer degree, law degree. That makes sense. Now you see the dots connected. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> so it's got some sense to this stuff. So what happened? Because I always like to distinguish whatever I'm doing. I don't like to follow the mass. I seek to make change, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so there were not any black patent lawyers that many. There were only one or two, one in Detroit, a guy named Benjamin Agree, I believe, and and I would say, well, are you going to distinguish yourself? Then I, I backed away from that. I I I'll tell you why I backed away, <laughs> because I said that you have to be a realistic person. You can have you can be unique, but you have no food on the table. Because how many black people going to be coming to you? They're going to be inventing something, or actually dealing with that area of patents. And I said, and I said, oh, well, no. you definitely have a lot of foresight there because I agree. Right. So so I would have been starving still today. Mm-hmm. And I said that you don't want to work in the in the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. That was my selection. Although I had the highest paying offer to come out of law school, didn't I have mm-hmm. the best grades? But they looked at my background. I got the highest offer out of all the students and they were 
15 blacks that started, only two of us came out on time. Mm. And so then, during that time, so I said, uh, I, I shift gears. Then I, I went and applied to medical school. Wow. And so it was funny. I was selected to be at Michigan State first, to be the first enrollee in their medical school, myself and Diana Ross' sister. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What, uh, okay, I, I know Rita, but which one? Oh, she has a sister. She's a doctor. She may have may have stopped practicing. She okay. she finished. Okay. So so no, they have a sister in, 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 okay. and uh, is a doctor. And mm-hmm. so what what happened when I got the letter that I can get admitted in law school? I went over there to the to the to the Michigan State and walked over and I told them that they can give that position to someone else that's going to use it because I'm going to law school. Uh. Because I was tired of science. Yeah. That's what happened. That's why I shifted over because I figured that I could make a difference in the law area. That's why I thought I could create more impact Mm. helping people. And so I gave away the the medical field in order to opt into the law field. And since then, you've been running with it. (laughs) Ever since, <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, it's now strange, strange, yeah. now you you start off with a lot of the sports, mm-hmm. then you end into end up into theater. Mm-hmm. Um, how I kind of have engaged and interacted with you is music based. Mm-hmm. I got um, that's true. Just yeah. as as an overview. Um, when it comes to contracts and intellectual property mm-hmm. so for the people listening yes. to this uh, like I always say and people always ask me like you have an attorney attorneys cost a lot of money and, da, 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 da. and I'm like okay first off um, it's intellectual property mm-hmm. it's an idea so it's about uh, creating an idea protecting an idea and then seeking to license that idea and then how that idea will be used and even in that very what I in my mind is a simple explanation of it all I guess let me break it down even further a friend of mine wants to do something in animation so I said okay when you write out the animation and you're not going to be the actual artist to make the animation you want to hmm. make sure you're clear about the terms at which you um, pay, which in a contract, pay is known as consideration <laughs> <laughs> for for the character that is created, and then also that you are given all rights to these characters. And then this is where we get into like where I was like, this is where you may need an attorney because yeah. I if I draw Mickey Mouse and then their t- Mickey Mouse tail is swirly. And then that same person takes it and draws it where the tail is straight. Like now we have to get into like, you know, writing out through arbitration. If it's like through reasonable, uh, <laughs> through the reasonable means through arbitration, if it can be looked at this likeness being taken and manipulated or something like that. And then you even have to go through the whole fact of, do you have the wherewithal to go through court in the litigation or the arbitration or you know the 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 legal 
battle that may ensue if you want to protect what it is. Now, that's a big soliloquy to get to a little bit of what you found are some of the difficulties because I know me working with artists, the most difficult thing always is that oftentimes, this is a generalization, artists could care less about anything other than creating art. With that being said, they rely on a lot of people to have what they perceive is their best interest mm. in mind yeah. all the time, but that best interest can shift depending upon opportunity to opportunity to opportunity. How have you found it working with a lot of artists that may have never looked at, read, um, don't even know how to start reading a contract, but still know they need an attorney? It's a very good um, assessment and analysis. Um, it's the same approach that I have had. A lot of times artists are a little bit slower, but it's the same way I have been blessed to work with certain iconic figures in terms of the same idea of bringing them along and educating the person in a, mm -hmm. a methodic way. And and actually that they know that you have your best interest, but sometimes when people want to rush and get it, I don't care, but you know, they want to ignore that area. But you cannot ignore it because you're really gonna have problems and issues eventually that will come up. And and so I take them on a journey in a different way, just like when a, a young man may come with, with me with a, a CD or whatever, and I tell them, and what I do, I, I shift a mind. I said, I said, you, you, what you holding in your hand, you don't recognize you handling a multi-million dollar product as a company. You really a CEO, you're not only an artist. Mm -hmm. So I take them into that space as opposed to saying, oh yeah, this music is good, such and such. I have to give them and, and start to shape that they are really a business person mm -hmm. with that product much more and that they become more sensitized mm -hmm. to that as a business part along with the creativity. And so you have a small minority of those that figured out in which you can just name them uh you know just like jay-z that figured it out you got p diddy that figured it out see you, you have to see they would never be in the space that they in but people hear their names but never recognize that someone had to 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 direct them or them by them watching others mm -hmm. to start to shape that this is a very serious thing they could be all that, but they got to take care of that area. Other than that, they don't have the longevity nor the staying power in order to keep them out there. And, and so all those skills of, of understanding that, just like when I say athletes are naive and, and artists are more paranoid, that they start to see and to 
and to accept a little bit much more that this that they're going to be like the person on the street eventually if they don't take care of this area now you said looking at it as if you're a business person Mm -hmm. which is a very great plain way of um, having an understanding Uh, Tyrone Bradley uh, that's my homie uh, learned a lot about a lot of stuff from Tyrone you know but uh, he always says the music business ain't got shit to do with music and uh, the older I get the more that statement makes more and more sense the Mm -hmm. machine needed behind an artist Mm -hmm. to be seen especially in today's culture Mm -hmm. um as right now somebody's negotiating to book me for something and i'm straight up telling them like look i think i love my stuff but i still don't know what type of return on investment you're going to get if we do this venture together and i'm speaking from the perspective of i've been a business person and i bet on myself and what could be reasonable and these are the things that i think you should do even though this is your money mm-hmm. um now the music industry right now is shifting big time streaming music oh, yes um the 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 value of music mm-hmm. how it's seen uh right now you have all these different streaming platforms and and you're going by and relying on uh, mm-hmm. how you know what this company that's streaming your music is telling you you know this is how much they're going to pay you i mean how, how do you really audit spotify how do you audit this information and, and I've been given some information about, like, you know, sometimes you can get these reports and go through and see how many streams. But because all of this stuff is in the cloud, which really means it's, it's somewhere in a server, it's somewhere in a serving farm for Spotify or mm-hmm. Pandora or iTunes Music or Google Play Music. You know, and then also on top of that, nobody even can quantify what the value of a stream song is. If I stream a song for, do I have to stream a song for the whole three minutes the song takes, or what if I stream a song for for thirty seconds? It does that cost? Does that count? If if the streaming platform sells advertising on it, like Spotify or Pandora, it, it, it me as an artist, am I am I supposed to have rights to some of the money that Spotify have for for for? playing like if if they play a commercial right before my song plays am i supposed to get more money Mm -hmm. all this is negotiable anyway and and the industry is really is in this uh whole different evolution process where people are still learning off of each other Uh at this thing because this is a whole new creation that has has evolved but you got but you have to be able to have some input in the economics because everything that a lot of times people create, they, you have to look at how do you monetize it. Mm-hmm. Monetization, it has some value, but you gotta look in it. You cannot ignore that because eventually over a period of time, those same rights will come up and someone gonna be licensing or selling it. If you don't have no input, you, you're not even at the table. So you might as well start to get a hold of whatever the information that you have and get some grounding and have some interest in it and because that's what happened to name image and likeness mm-hmm. uh, over a period of time that people never thought about they just sign away different things 
and, and, and that's exactly what I did really for even Mrs. Parks is just to help her to understand the name, image, and likeness Mm-hmm. of what the value of who this great person was. And it's tapping right into a person's social capital. And yeah. as we as we get into this, uh, you know, closing out, and we definitely have to have you back uh, to talk about more what you do, but you're also in business, you lead a lot of independent things. Um, uh, some of your work goes into events, event yes. marketing, Yes. Uh, it, it goes into uh, publishing yourself, like books. It's gone into uh, your investment in other ventures and things that you know people may or may not even be aware of. Uh, you yes. have historical collections. Yes. You're you're not just the the uh, uh, sitting up reading contracts and saying mm-hmm. yay or nay type of attorney either. Now. Your own personal ventures mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. What's inspiring you to keep moving and specifically do a mm-hmm. lot of these ventures on behalf of uh, preserving the uh, traditions of black history uh, mm-hmm. and um, the ethics and principles of what now people, you know, black excellence. Well, I look at my, uh, uh, what I try. Uh, seek to to guide or t- tell someone. I said, you write your own script. Mm-hmm. You write your story. And and the story that I have sought to write for myself is a cultural preservationist. Hmm. And that codified the the entertainment, the intellectual property, the right and the image and the legacy of humanity. And so when you start to, to understand that uh, denominator of, of what this person claims to be, it's the same thing that impacts us all. And that is in terms of nothing, no great society exists or live without arts, culture, and politics. Every great civilization that actually that has built itself over the centuries of years has got into art, culture, politics, and economics. Hmm. It's no different than the Egyptians who built the great sphinx or the pyramids that was art, culture, and politics. Mm-hmm. And that was a civilization no different than the Romans has built as well. Who controls those resources economically becomes self-sustaining in itself to perpetuate the existence of their people. Mm-hmm. They give them pride and esteem. Our legacy has been suppressed and tarnished and tried to set on the side because the people have been, the people are so great and to understand their greatness of who they are, they could do greater things. Mm-hmm. And so then if you keep them away from that, then you, you also put them in a position to be exploited and use that natural resources. And so I've been always been a part of things that way, whether it's been 
one way or another. And so that's why uh, the events I've created always have economics tied to it, but it also gives the people esteem that they're doing something worthy of, them, of themselves. So it's not about me or Gregory Reed. It's, it's really about are you making something that can impact and make a difference in humanity and society? And, I, and so a lot of times when it's, it's misunderstood because people looking at the surface and not mm. looking at what's there. And that's how people are being misguided, even through the media, uh, constantly, propaganda, or it could be print or digital mm. or audio in some form. They always, so that is, they run in a game of art and culture and politics on their side. But then what are you doing as a part of the community to help further along the missions oh. for people to be self-sustaining, independence, in order creating their own goodwill so then they're not creating violence against one another. And so, and so that's the same way I, I, I launch uh, the car crews, it took me 10 years to study that, to understand the economic impact and why the people would not come across eight mile to the city. And so then I created Cruising in the D because that is a, a multi-hundred million dollar project that they do because you get dining, you get uh, hotels, you get merchandising, you get uh, uh all different things that feeds an economy. See, it's created on the surface as cars, entertainment. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, it's a driven. So uh, this country is built on entertainment from a business side mm -hmm. all the time. So cruising in the D. Yes. When is that occurring in 2018? Well, cruising in the D. If there's an event even this weekend as okay. a, as 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 a as a prelude to that. Okay. And that is dealing with women's. Uh, Stephanie Hammonds came up with the classic women whips and wheels, mm -hmm. and that's the first one. That's going to be at at the Detroit Association uh, Women's Club in Midtown for women to come together okay. of researchers, engineers, mechanics, people just car enthusiasts, network, social work, uh, be entertainment there from 11 to three, that's July the 7th. That'd be okay. the first time that a group has like that has been put together of, of bikers, motorcycles, cars, and people of interest, and there'd be guys there to see what's happening as well. But this is a women th a thing in terms of celebrating, and that would be at, at, at Detroit Association Women Club, and the, and the reason why that is being held there, because of a lady named Rosa Greggs. Mm -hmm. Rosa Greggs is a part of the community, who was an advisor to three presidents, and she uh, also was a uh, great friend and advisor to Martin Luther King. A lot of people that know, uh, as well as Mary McLeod Methune, and she integrated the house on ferry and brush. 5461 Brush, uh, she integrated that block. That's how Lewis Business College came and the Q House came in that block. Mm. And, and she restored Frederick Douglass' home. And so that's a clubhouse that's headed by President Angela Callaway from Spelman uh, today that helps support 
black families and communities. And so the, and that was bought in 1941 and is part of a large organization out of Washington, D.C. that was founded in 1926. These were like, uh, uh, these were not like, they were educated doer type of women's or married into stable families that mm -hmm. gave back to the community. Cool, cool. And so they still do that. And so I took on that role of supporting that clubhouse the same way I supported Mrs. Mrs. Parks. The first event that I held there was called Women of Courage in March, redefined those women that redefined life in America. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they still, and so the exhibit is open as well, still there. It was launched in March, and they had kept it going. It's supposed to be a three-day exhibit, but it, every time someone comes in mm -hmm. there, they see it. And so, wow. they, so they celebrated uh, the first, this is the annual thing there, that exhibit. And so Joanne Watson, the Summit Judge Hood, and some of these other women, okay. Geraldine Bledsoe, all, they, all their some of their memorabilia of who they are in that house today. Okay. So you see all these great women as well and the doers and then there's been uh, integrated with internationally with over 60 something uh, other international women like Nikki Giovanni mm. and other people, poets, Sandra, Sonia Sanchez and some of these great other writers. All their stories are in there as well. Okay. Most so, definitely. And so this is, uh, uh, and so that was launched. So each year they're doing that exhibit, Women of Courage. So these women that come out here, so even on the car and biker day, they can go through as well and see the art exhibits and artifacts. Mm -hmm. So it's more than just cars, it's art and history that's being shared. It's back to what you say, the art, the culture, and the politics <laughs> all coming together. Yeah, so it always tie in. Uh -huh. So you have, that's July the 7th. Then we are also promote, prom marketing that day. This will be the first time in, in this state that we're gonna uh, be giving away five different health screenings. Okay. Uh, that's for the August event, so they can register. Mm -hmm. and, and, and giving away tests worth between $700 or more free hmm. to each person. You guys doing blood work? Yeah, hey, yeah, hey I just paid for my blood work. Yeah, Glucose, blood work uh, heart disease, hepatitis, yeah. HIV. We five of them. Yeah, See, most, most people up. give one exam yeah. free. We give away five. Yeah, that's, and uh, that's gonna be it. That's, that's important, because yeah, I, I know. So, yeah. I know, I'm out of pocket with it. So. Yeah, so thank you. Oh, so brother. so therefore, that ex that's in August of the 17, 18, and 19 at Palmer Park, where mm -hmm. we do cruising in the D, showcasing of cars, networking people, coming from Ohio, Illinois, mm -hmm. Indiana, as, as well as we have people from South America, Netherlands, <laughs> and France that come cool. to the card. We are, and then also, Matt Nichols Business Association are bringing up a whole stage of cars in order to join up. So we're promoting their business. Okay. So cruising into the D is an event, but it also helps sustain the community. And so it's not just cars and bikers. We It's really health-oriented, networking, business-tied, generating culture and business for the community. Okay. So I, that's good to know. Uh, we got a couple different dates this Saturday, July 7th. Thank you. A couple days. And then August 17th and 18th, right? That is correct. 19th. 
uh, and, and the 19th. So that whole weekend, August 17th through 19th, and also July 7th. Uh, our, our find out more about these events. You can you're gonna see it in the post on uh, this Detroit is different post for Attorney Reed. Thank and you. that fast forwards me to my last three Detroit is different questions. But before that, what if somebody just wants to call and say, hey, I want your representation. I want your help on something. How do people get in contact with you? Uh, 313-961-3580. Okay. All right. Now, classic Detroit is different questions. I always ask everybody these same three questions. Um, what was your very first car? What year, make, and model was the car? And what year did you get? The very first car was in my uh, senior year. I went out and bought it. The family didn't have a car. Okay. And that was a Buick Skylar convertible. Oh, man, you got a Skylar convertible? Okay, what year? <laughs> what year? That was 1965. 65. What year was the car? The car was a 64. Okay, so one year on you. Yeah. Oh, man. How, how long did it last? It, it lasted... Um, I would say around a good four or five years. I gave okay. the car away to my brother. Why? It was a distraction for me at Michigan State University. Mm. And I never completed. I gave him a, a car mm. away in order for me to be focused. But it, you, you did always have that over your little brother for about 10 years, though. <laughs> it's like, remember, I gave you that car, man. Yeah. Uh, he was probably happy yeah. as ever. So yeah. if I ever interview him, he's like, my first car was his first car. So <laughs> you know what? I never thought of until you just said it that way. That was his first car. Where um, Do you remember the first place you drove when you got it? Well, I remember a couple of things. One is that the longest distance I, I, I drove it was all the way to uh, Montgomery, um, no, uh, um, Georgia. I'm trying to think of the city right Lincoln. outside of Atlanta. Right outside of Atlanta. Atlanta. Yes. Uh, it's let's see. What city is right outside, outside of Atlanta? Atlanta. Uh. On the edge. It's, it's well known now, the city. It's amazing. Mm. I'll, uh, what's that one street? <laughs> what city? I'm not sure. But okay. And so you, I, dro it, you it's, drove down it, there. It, what year? Do you remember the year you drove down there? Sure. That was in uh, uh, 19. Um, Jack, his roommate. Shit, that was 77. No, it was, it was 67. Yeah, that was before. That was pre map quest. So, yeah, you, you were really trusting. <laughs> yeah. You had to trust the. Uh, you're your right. Maps. And I remember I almost going off a mountain because going around the mountain in Tennessee and I, and I woke yeah. him up. And uh, yeah. the next distance, I went to see a young lady in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, Dayton. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. Dating, dating will let. You, yeah. yeah, most men have um, learned the city of Detroit because it's like, yeah, you meet, you get a girlfriend on the east side, and then you soon learn the east side. Yeah, soon you shall learn it. But dating Ohio, yeah, I, I, I need to get somebody. I maybe need to do a dating is different week or something because it was a lot of funk oh, coming out yes. of Dayton. Yes, yes. And it, it makes no sense. My family's from, uh, my dad's from Cincinnati, so we always mm, drive through. I love Cincinnati. We always drive through Dayton. And I, I think to myself, how did all these funk mans come from this small city? Well, that and plus they, they were good. Uh, a lot of football teams come out of uh, players from Dayton. I never knew that. I, I just oh, know yes. all that funk. Oh, yes. I mean, I know they were working with George, but it's like just in that, mm -hmm. you know, between, um, who was that? Um, 
You had uh, man, my mind just went blank. But you know, Zap. You had yep. uh, uh, what you call it? Uh, you like had the Ohio players. The Ohio players, and even the group that had Groove Line. What's the Heat Wave? It's like all within like a four. It, it was like <laughs> Minneapolis with Prince or something, just out of nowhere. It's just all these people, you know, just coming from Dayton. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Ohio is very interesting place. Though. Yeah, talk about it. Talk about it. I'm still a Michigan guy, though. Still a Michigan guy. So, second Detroit is different question. Um, you are the DJ. It's the end of the fireworks. Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play. You get to play a song. What song are you playing? Three songs, actually. That's what I always say. What three songs are you playing? Well, one is that I like is uh, I like Tupac. Uh, okay, California. Okay, people will be like, "Why is this guy playing California Love?" But it's it, Tupac is always no. You, you have no, Tupac, Tupac, you have no. no. Uh, people have no problem with Pac anytime, especially no, in Detroit. So that's one. You got no, California no. Love down. No, but I started. Uh, I just learned this person recently. Uh, uh, Ariana Grande. Okay, what song? I don't know the song, but I like her voice now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So a song from Ariana Grande, and then what? And then give me one last. Well, you got song. you can always put dancing in the street. <laughs> Martha Reed. You know what? You the uh, that is one of the that is one of the most uh, most voted upon songs. Yeah, it's amazing. From from people when I ask them this question. Let's see, I don't know, but it's uh, it's it's really. Uh, it's more to that song than a little bit in terms of the of the culture impact that it had mm-hmm. and that in terms of what went on because uh without even right now i'm working on a docudrama but i want to mm. get it and it, okay and it, it ties into that okay era because i didn't recognize it much more how motown and the arts and culture and politics are so Interly connected. See, we just talk about mm-hmm. Motown, but see, during that era, you have uh, you had Keen, Malcolm, Langston Hughes, and a number of other people that was tied to this art and culture and politics. Yeah, and and that's and and that record is tied to it even during part of even the rebellion and everything. Yeah, most definitely. See, see, so that's why I said uh, dancing in the street. And the very last question: If you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Mm. That's a very good one. Yeah. Well, that would be Parks Avenue. Okay. <laughs> my my neighborhood would not like. <laughs> we would have to keep our name over here. They call that Rosa Parks. I got you. And that'd be Parks Avenue. Okay. It'd be understood. Okay. Hey, I'm with it. No. So I'm uh, very, uh, I take that very significant when you could name and leave some. Because, see, I named the first African-American street, which you didn't know, downtown after a person. Hmm. I got, well, I'm the one that passed and got John 
Kanye's name downtown. I do remember that. That was the first. He was the first person. I think you were also a part of. Um, yeah. Uh, you were a part of the push to uh, have uh, Harold McKinney's name honored, if I believe correct. No, no I supported it, but I, I wasn't. Okay. But I'm ready to name uh, in September that we can ready to have the Rosa. Park, Rosa Gregg's Boulevard. Okay. Where, that, where is that going to be? That's going to be at, at where where this event is taking place July the Right 7th. in front of the, right where the center is. That makes sense. Association right. is, I should say. Right, because that house is the only house in America with two front door addresses because she was restricted to having uh, an entrance on ferry. Hmm. That's, a, that's, a, that's really a, a national tourist destination site well i definitely this was definitely a pleasure it's uh it's many a people that i want to start uh getting into that and i'm gonna have to pick your brain because i still think my godmama or thea should have a street named after i just can't figure out where it would be oh well that's another story then you say said it that way um but i would definitely uh say that in as a matter of fact and it, it's, it's now is is looking at the geography that give it the significance and mm. that it should be, and that could be on web. Okay, I, I like I like where this is going. I like I see? like where this is going because I know because she's recorded there. You are you, uh, Sylvia. Moore. see, because ah. ah. I represented Sylvia Moore. Okay. Yeah, and that's how come I know that. And uh, so there's and and what she did uh, in terms of uh, Orthea was giving us a lot of pride during a certain era. Mm-hmm. See, that's a, there's a lot of time we just throw something out there, but you got to look at the cultural preservation of, mm-hmm. of the impact of what's taking place during that time, and then that's how you reeducate and keep something going to another generation. And and because that is the game in terms of 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 a generation that lacks because someone is not impregnating them with those elements. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's that's what other cultures do. Yeah, I may have to do something like that even in this house. I may put up like a yeah, something. I figure it out. Yes. But this was fun. We will definitely get you back as you got more stuff happening. Uh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, you're a very excellent listener and you have done your homework. You've been, uh, you're really born uh, at a different time zone. I oh, yeah, man. I'm just a nerd when it comes to Detroit history and Detroit black history. Yeah. Like I could have got into nuances, especially when you start talking about those Kurt Jones stories. Some of those stories, it's like, man, y'all just. I just went to Northwestern. He could not have been this good. Oh, yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. People talk about I, Kurt I No, I still. Like I, he was. My my like, brother. Yo, and I, if Kurt if Kurt could have yeah. made the NBA. Oh yeah, no, my brother and I we still talk about Kurt. Uh, it's just uh, a phenomenon. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing, and that's another reason why I swear, I swear, addressing mental challenges addressing uh drug abuse challenges mm-hmm. needs to be addressed in our community head on head on head on it's a lot yeah. of talented skilled people 
that can be doing so much more in talent. Oh, yeah. I just really wish I had the tape on Kurt because I swear to God, some of the stories I hear about Kurt Jones are like, it's like, it's like um, Paul Bunyan or something. Oh, yes. No, it's true. There's no exaggeration because he was like that when he was 12, 13. No, because uh, we, we, we were just in awe of a person that had that much control and that could, uh, it was way, he was like a gold trot at 12, 13. That's what I hear. Oh, no. I hear like basically he could have took on certain teams just one on five. And I'm like, man, why don't they just elbow him? <laughs> <laughs> no. Street ball rules. <laughs> oh, yes. It's true. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.